the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions and life questions and anything else, church questions, what we believe as Christians and why we believe it. Uh, All you have to do to get the answer is call me, 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send them to us that way. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Um, you can take advantage of the hands-free feature of your phone. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the button, and then you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, is 340-9585. Hope you had a great day in church yesterday. It was Communion Sunday for us. Um, it's always an honor and a privilege to be able to come to the Lord's table. Um, hope you had a great day where you were as well. How do we start a new week? Here is a question from Isaiah. He says, I can't help but to keep being stumbled by the Bible's apparent approval of slavery. Our nation was built on the backs of slaves, and that is evil. How can I be confident in a Bible that condones slavery? Isaiah, here's one of the times, and I want to be as kind to you as I can. Uh, I'm going to presume that this is an honest question. Now, I may be saying that because uh, our Bible study yesterday was about dishonest questions. Uh, but, But I'm going to presume that this is an honest question you really want to know. Well, the answer is to really study your Bible. Study the history of the time that the Bible is written, and you're going to find that the issue of slavery has nothing to do with race, has nothing to do with black or white. I would also um, argue with you a little bit about uh, your statement that our nation was built on the backs of slaves. Uh, Slavery in this country was evil. It always was. Uh, People's lives were destroyed. Their humanity was discounted, and that certainly is evil. But our nation was built on much, much more than the back of slaves. I think you need to sort of get outside of uh, maybe the university environment, if that's where you are, Isaiah, uh, and, and, and be more objective about the things that you hear. Now, let's talk about, I'm going to use your words, the Bible's apparent approval of slavery. There's nowhere in your Bible that says slavery is approved by God. Nowhere. Slavery in the ancient world was a fact of life. Uh, in the Old Testament days, um, um, nations enslaved other peoples uh, through victories at war, um, uh, through simply being more powerful. Um, uh, in in the Jewish 
nation. Uh, people were enslaved because of financial means. They couldn't pay their debts, so they would, instead of of uh, paying their debts, they would they would commit themselves to their to to the person they were indebted to to work for them. Uh, and the period of time, of course, would be determined by um, um, how big the debt was. Um, but but even in the Old Testament, the Lord was very very harsh on those who would take advantage of their fellow Jews. So again, the Old Testament, there's no approval of slavery. It's just acknowledgement that that's the way it was. Now let's fast forward into the New Testament times. Um, Jesus was born into a world where slaves outnumbered free men four to one. In the Roman Empire, Rome was the controlling power of the world. Slaves outnumbered free men four to one. Roman citizenship was expensive. Uh, if you If you didn't have parents who were Roman citizens. If you did, you were, you were born into to, to, to that citizenship. Uh, but to, to, to buy it or to, to be able to bribe your way in cost a fortune. And of course, most people couldn't afford to do that and, and then benefit from the advantages. We know, for example, the Apostle Paul was born a Roman citizen. Uh, he was stoned and, and uh, beaten, and, and uh, it was against the law to do that as a Roman citizen. So Paul brought the issue up. But the idea of slaves there, again, this was an economic accommodation, and it had nothing to do with race. It was nothing whatsoever to do with black and white. People committed themselves into slavery. Others were born into slavery. And the Apostle Paul, in particular, when he writes in the New Testament that we're to be content where we are, to stay in the place God uh, that, that we, we were when God found us, all he's saying is, look, this is the way it is, so you be a great Christian, you be a good witness, even if you're a slave. Paul also had harsh words for slave owners. Treat your slaves fair and with dignity. So there's just no accommodation or approval of slavery at all. And I think that the the way, Isaiah, that you can deal with this is to really be a more thorough studier of your Bible. It's not enough to see the word slavery and immediately assume it's like it was in this country all those years ago. So it's really important before you make blanket statements like this to do the work necessary to be sure you know what you're talking about. You know, if you would study the things that you're being told, again, I'm assuming that you're either a high school student or university student, and you're being propagandized, check out the things that you're being taught. It's really important. Um, I think the best story about slavery in the New Testament, Isaiah, is uh, the little one-chapter treasure uh, called Philemon. Uh, The slave was Onesimus. He was a runaway slave. Um, Slaves were considered property, and because He'd run away from his owner. Uh, He was a thief. And he was living a life, always looking over his shoulder. He was living a life where he could be caught any day. And the, the, the pressure would have been overwhelming for him. And one day in Rome, while the Apostle Paul was being held as a prisoner, he would have heard Paul from his court. He had the freedom to... To, to greet people and speak to, to, to people. He would hear the Apostle Paul proclaiming a message of freedom. Now, to a runaway slave, that would sound too good to be true. He gave his life to Jesus Christ, was born again, became very, very helpful in Paul's ministry. And when it was time for him to go back to his slave owner, and this was conviction of the Holy Spirit, Paul didn't tell him to, but the Spirit of God told him to do it. 
you are guilty of theft. Go back to your slave owner. He could have been killed. It was an enormous risk. But this man was so committed to Jesus Christ that he did what he was supposed to do. If I die, I'm going to go to heaven. That would have been his thought process. And when he finally went and told Paul that he had to go back, Onesimus got to see the hand of God in his life. You see, his slave owner was now a man who was a pastor of the churches in Colossae. Not only was he a Christian now, but it was the same Apostle Paul that led him to the Lord, led him to his saving faith. And so God moved on behalf of Onesimus, and historically Onesimus was a giant of a figure in the New Testament church, the, the, the first century church, uh, a bishop in Ephesus, uh, a man uh, accredited by God, uh, a man that uh, was trustworthy. So Isaiah, before you make statements like this, really be sure that you know what you're talking about. Slavery in the United States was evil. Uh, it was even more evil that uh, those who were slave owners um, throughout the time of the, the Civil War and, and afterwards, uh, that, that many of those slave owners misused the Bible to state their cases for having slaves. Um, but that's just man's problem, not God's problem. God wanted them to be able to deal with life as they lived it. If you are a slave when you were found by Jesus Christ, remain a slave, but serve as unto the Lord. Very important. Here is an anonymous question. Uh, Pastor Ron, when I go to church, I'm grieved by the way people dress. Why is there so little respect these days? Uh, Anonymous, you're probably my age. You're in that generation. Um, Things are just much more uh, informal now than they were a long time ago. Now, I want to get to the bigger question on this. Why does it grieve you? You dress the way that you feel led to do it. If you dress nicely and you go to church, I don't think there's anybody who's dressed casually looking at you and saying, you know, I'm really grieved by that guy dressing up. I don't think it's a matter of respect. I think it's a... uh, I think it's a matter of personal style. And we live in a, especially here in San Antonio, in in a, a, a warm climate, um, when when the warmer it gets, the more casual people get. Uh, and, and I just think you need to look in instead of looking out. Why does it matter to you how anybody dresses? I, I think you know if you were to go to church and, and look like a million bucks, you got your Bible in your lap, uh, the, the worship starts or the pastor begins, uh, are you going to be able to hear what God wants to say to you when you're worried about what the guy next to you is wearing? This is one of those things where you've got to understand what people wear is none of your business. It doesn't affect you at all. The problem is you're letting the enemy affect you by being concerned about something that you have no control over, nor should you have any control over it. Again, I don't think it's a matter of respect. I just think we live in a casual, casual world. You know, Anonymous, um, obviously you don't come here. We have people that dress up, but we also have uh, people that are really, really casual. I don't wear a tie um, or a sport coat. I do that on Easter um, only, um, typically. And um, I, I have no disrespect. Uh, I just feel like it's... Um, All right. Now, here's the other thing that I say. I tell our church all the time that our dress code is whatever the Lord has provided for you to wear is okay. However, I ask people to spend more time preparing their hearts for church than preparing their physical bodies for church. And Anonymous, the one thing I can really ask you to do is prayerfully consider spending more time on your own heart. 
It just shouldn't matter to you what anybody else wears or what anybody else thinks is appropriate. This is between you and the Lord. And if you're dressed, and um, we had a guy in the church uh, yesterday, in fact, who uh, was wearing a coat and tie and, and uh, um, casual uh, jeans, but but he looked really, really good. And um, came up to give me a hug, and I just said, hey, you broke the rule. He goes, what rule? And I said, the rule that you're not supposed to look better than the pastor. And he smiled so big. But you see, that was his choice. The guy who came to church yesterday in a T-shirt wasn't being disrespectful. I think we've got to sort of free ourselves from those kind of constraints. Look in instead of looking out, and I think you're going to find that your church experience is going to be a whole lot more uh, rewarding, a whole lot richer than, than worrying about what anybody else is wearing. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is our next question. It comes from Jason. He says, does it really matter which Sabbath we observe? I don't get why the day is such a big deal to some people. Uh, Jason, I don't, I don't get why it's such a big deal to some people either. You know, uh, there are, are people that will claim that I'm not even a Christian because we don't meet on on the Jewish Sabbath. But the problem is, the Sabbath wasn't given to us. You know, these are people, Jason, who don't really understand their Bibles. They, they haven't read them carefully. And when God in Exodus gave the Jews the command to worship, to keep the seventh day, set it apart as holy, that's the day they're to observe um, their, their God. Um, all you have to do is read carefully, and it says over and over and over, he said to the Israelites, he said to them, it never says he said that to, to Gentiles or to New Testament Christians. And so the people that make a big deal out of the Sabbath are people who simply don't get it. They're, they're again, they're not really studying their Bibles. Listen to this, Jason, it's from Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Paul writes this, he says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, here it is, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So, Jason, the idea is it doesn't matter. The New Testament church celebrated the, the, their day of worship, corporate worship, on Sunday. It was a whole new covenant. The old is gone, the new has come. And they celebrated the day of Jesus' resurrection, the, the day that literally validates our faith. They were delivered from the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. And Paul says in Colossians that those kinds of things uh, are, are nothing more than a shadow if you've ever chased a shadow, you know you can never catch it. We've already caught Christ. He is the one that fulfilled all of those things. So don't let anybody bug you about which day you observe. Just tell people, you know what, I'm not going to talk to you about this. All the days of my life belong to Jesus. So the day that we have corporate worship it's a tradition that was set by the apostles in the New Testament church. You can read about it in your New Testament. And it canceled or replaced the Sabbath. Now, Sunday's not a Sabbath for us. It's just the day that we recognize the Lord's resurrection from the dead. We're not under the Sabbath law. It was never given to us. It was given to Israel. If we remember that, then we're going to be uh, on pretty solid ground. So just don't let anybody argue with you. Don't let anybody um, voice their views on you. Just worship. By the way, Jason, when the people who are are, are arch Sabbath observers, or they claim to be, you know, we worship on Saturday, that's the Lord's Day, uh, ask them if they keep the other Sabbath laws, like not doing any work, not starting a fire start a fire, technically, if you drive your car, a spark that starts the engine. Um, 
do they work a six-day work week? Because you see, that's part of the, the Sabbath law as well. They just don't get it. I fight this battle all the time. And for some reason or another, people hold on to these pet doctrines of theirs uh, and try to make sure we all do what they do. Here's my next question from Isaac. He said, "Should do you think churches should allow gay people to become members if they want to? Uh, Isaac, the answer is no. Uh, people that are practicing homosexuals are, are men and women who are in sin, in violation of God's word. Um, remember, the church of Jesus Christ is uh, the church that um, um, he's the head of. He gets to make the rules. We don't get to revise them or interpret them. And um, he says people who live a homosexual lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says it twice in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and Galatians chapter 5. So these are really important questions. Now, we see a lot of churches accommodating homosexual people. We see them giving people the opportunity to serve. Um, we, we, we see churches that will affirm uh, their Christianity when in fact um, um, God's word says they're not Christians at all. Um, we see people who are influenced by the culture that we live in rather than influenced by what the word says. But make no mistake, Isaac, if somebody is a practicing homosexual, uh, they should not be allowed church membership because they're living in rebellion to the head of the church. I will say this. There are people who, who clearly have same-sex attraction. Uh, that's the reality of the fallen world that we live in. Uh, it was not God's intent ever. Uh, but that's something that we're here to deal with. The people who are attracted to the same gender, and yet they know it's wrong, and they abstain from sex and they do that to honor God, of course they're members of the church. Just like when you and I um, 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 deny our flesh and we get angry and want to blow our stack or something, we don't do it because we honor the Lord. We don't use foul language because we honor the Lord. It's really important to understand that this is um, Jesus' church. He gets to make the rules, and none of us get to... um, change those rules or abridge them in any way at all. Let's go to Cindy on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Cindy? I don't know if you can. You hear me, Pastor Ron? I can hear you great. Oh, okay. I couldn't hear you on my phone. Okay. So, um, yesterday was really wonderful. I'm going to have to listen to it again a few more times. But my my question has to do with the previous Sunday about uh, Jesus' triumphal entry in, in the Jews. Now, when the, when the um, Antichrist comes, is he going to claim to be the Messiah? And is he really going to come riding in on a donkey, do you think? And also, if, if all this happens, how are the Jews going to justify the timetable that happened back in Daniel when, when, it, when it will have anything to do with it. So I think that's my question, and I'll get off the phone and listen to the radio. Thank you, Cindy. Appreciate it. Uh, they, they've already um, um, sort of, of re-examined uh, the timeline of Daniel and 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 basically what they're saying is that's not a a messianic prophecy in Daniel chapter nine. Um, um, they're still looking for their Messiah, as you know, Cindy. We talked about that in the message a couple of weeks ago. Um, but but what they're doing is they're just doing what we do many times. We're we're just taking the, the Bible and changing it to to meet. Uh, a, a particular belief system. We we don't want to believe that he's come, so that couldn't have been him. Uh, and uh, they, they'll they'll have different teachings that would would justify it. Um, the, with regard to the Antichrist, um, when he comes, he's going to be a man of peace. Jesus said, "When they say peace and safety, be aware 
Um, this is going to be the greatest man of peace in the history of the world. At least that's going to be the perception when in reality he is possessed by the devil himself and, and wants nothing but destruction. Uh, but uh, he, he's going to make peace between Arabs and Jews. He's going to allow um, Solomon's temple to be rebuilt on its original foundation. Um, when he measures the Temple Mount, he's going to find that it's right outside the, the, the Muslim mosque that is currently sitting on that hill. And they're going to build the, the Solomon's Temple, the re- rebuilt Solomon's Temple side by side. And uh, Jews and Arabs are going to think they're going to be able to live together in peace. Uh, The problem, of course, is that that's not going to be the case. His agenda is that he would be worshipped. So he's not going to come in riding on a physical horse. Whenever this is in the future, it'll be much more sophisticated than that. Uh, But he's going to deceive everybody, Cindy, and he will be thought to be the greatest man of peace ever. Thanks for the question. We'd love your live calls, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program. Phones have been quiet today. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-5757. Hey, I forgot to mention at the top of the program that tonight... Uh, here at Calvary Chapel is our men's and women's uh, Bible studies. Uh, also our high school age youth and junior high school age youth. It's a time when the family can kind of come out together and and uh, and enjoy the, the, the Bible being taught. So that starts at 7 o'clock. Ladies, uh, our ladies Bible study tonight taught by Nancy Jones uh, is can be watched at calvaryessay.com via live stream. So we invite you to join us. Um, not too crowded on Monday nights. Uh, smaller uh, Bible studies and uh, more discussion. Uh, great, great opportunity. So uh, you are invited to come. Let's go to my next question here. This one is from Arnold. He asks, is it possible that the Holy Spirit will reveal new doctrinal truth? Arnold, the answer is no. The book is sealed. We've got the, 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 the story of, of humanity from the beginning to the end. Uh, nothing can be added. Uh, nothing can be taken out. Unfortunately, we do that all the time. Uh, but there's nothing new that's going to be revealed to us. Uh, I hear people say that things like this, all the time, you know, well, well, who knows? Maybe God's going to do something new. He's done everything. Hebrews, in fact, begins uh, with, with the statement that uh, Jesus is God's final word. In him is the fulfillment of the Godhead, according to Colossians. So there is no need for anything new. And, and be careful, Arnold, because anytime somebody says, well, God gave me a new revelation, uh, it's not from God. Uh, it may be somebody in error, but it may also be demonic. There's nothing new. Um, easy way to remember this, Arnold, is if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. Um, we need to be content with the full counsel of God once and for all delivered to the saints. You see, that's the only way a just God could deal with his people. The people that lived in the time of Jesus, they had the same thing we have. We don't have an advantage because we live closer to his return. We've got his word, and it is sufficient for everything. Let no one add nor take away anything from the Bible that you have. Cherish that Bible. It is the final authority on practice, on life, on truth, 
We need nothing else. Hazel wants to know, are men who claim to be apostles false teachers? Hazel, I hesitate to, to, to declare people false teachers. Uh, I don't know their hearts, and I think just the idea that somebody's a false teacher indicates a pretty ugly heart, a pretty dirty heart. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who are um, misled. Uh, I think they're misled by other men who claim to be apostles. But here's what I can tell you for sure, Hazel. There is nobody alive today who is an apostle, regardless of what they claim to be, there are no more apostles in the mold of the original Twelve or Paul. Uh, Those men were marked out for a very special ministry. Um, They were emissaries of Jesus personally, commissioned by Jesus personally. Uh, And um, when we were delivered the Word of God, then from that point forward, there was no other need for an apostle. We have the apostles' doctrine. We have their writings. We know exactly how to pursue the Lord. These men who claim themselves apostles are, are, are taking that on themselves. They're doing so in opposition to what the Scripture declares. Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 2, apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church that has already been laid. The church is being built currently, present tense in Greek, is being built upon that foundation. Paul says to the Corinthians, No other foundation can be laid than that which is already laid by Jesus Christ. So no apostles, no prophets in the church today. Now, let me say this. There are men who have apostolic-style ministries. And by that, I mean um, they'll be sent by the Lord to some place that makes no sense. And God will endow them with great power and they will do marvelous things. Um, phones are quiet. i got time to tell a quick story. Uh, a man I know and admire very, very much, his name is Juan Domingo, um, is a, uh, a pastor of uh, churches in Mexico, Calvary Chapel pastor. Um, he got saved in the hippie days back when the Holy Spirit was, was doing a, a, an amazing work. Um within days, and I mean literally a few days of, of being saved, uh, the Lord spoke to his heart as clearly as anything else and said, I want you to go to Mexico. Now, this is a white guy. He's not Mexican. He spoke no Spanish. None of us who have known him for a long time even know what his old name used to be. He's Juan Domingo, John Johnny Sunday. Uh, that's what he was named when he went there. And he went in a Volkswagen bus and just started sharing Jesus with people. Uh, he was the pastor of the, of the largest churches, except for Catholic churches, the largest churches in Mexico City. Um, wonderful stories and miracles that, that were, were done. Uh, he has since left the churches in Mexico City under the direction of his son. He's moved on to Ensenada, uh, in Baja, California, and uh, and is doing the same thing there. Now he's had lots of physical issues, health issues, uh, but but that is an apostolic style ministry. But he is not an apostle of God. So stay away from men who claim that they are, because it's simply not true. Hope that answers your question, Hazel. Joseph asks an interesting question. He says, Pestron, what's the best way to find original source material instead of just reading commentaries? You know, Joseph, uh, I think the best thing, now this is what I did for a long, long time. Uh, I, I like commentaries and I like those that are a little bit deep. And uh, I remember thinking, well, how do I know I can trust this material? So what I did was go into their bibliography. Um, you know, they would have footnotes and, 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 and uh, um, 
they would refer to the original source material that they were quoting. And I found just a treasure of research material that was available. It took some digging sometimes to get a hold of it, but um, uh, if you've got a, a library with enough uh, in terms of volumes, uh, you can find some really great stuff. Uh, here in, in San Antonio, uh, the university, the, the Trinity University Library, when we first got here, I mean, this was before we had computers or anything else. When we first got here almost 25 years ago, uh, um, I, I would drive every day to Trinity University and go down in the stacks, and, and, and then it was on the second floor. I don't know where it is now. But but they have really, really uh, great resource material, and I could read more contemporary commentators, or I could go back and read older commentators, but, but they just had a wealth of information. So I spent uh, most of my days at Trinity University. Uh, we couldn't afford a library, and I didn't have anything online because it wasn't online yet. Uh, and yet the truth is, um, uh, it was just such a rich time and experience, and I would spend the entire day there, uh, every day preparing uh, for messages, just preparing uh, for, for to answer questions that were asked of me, um, to answer questions that I had in my own mind, and going into the resource material, uh, the original source material was an exceptionally valuable experience for me, Joseph. So just books. Read, love, love, love reading. Um, my only cautionary note here is that before you go digging in to what everybody else says about the Bible, become familiar with it yourself. Read it, read it, and reread it over and over and over. I had one of the kids at church ask me uh, just uh, Friday night, uh, after our church service. And and they looked at me and said, uh, Papa Ron, how many times have you read the Bible? And I looked at him and I said, boy, I don't know, but it's been a lot. And he said, like more than 10? And I said, yeah, way more than 10. And, and you know, that's that's our foundation. And so the first thing to do is be familiar with the text itself. And then you can go digging into commentaries and some of the original uh, source material. There are some really, really great old commentators that are quoted now by more contemporary commentators. Uh, and and uh, in, in the bibliographies, you can find all that information. Let me also say this, uh, Joseph. One of the best um, footnoted um, uh, Bible commentary series that you can find is called the New International Commentary Series. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce is the general editor. Now, he's with Jesus now, but um, it's, it is, for my money, the best New Testament commentary series that's ever been written. And um, uh, the, the resource treasures that are available uh, in that are, are, are worth the time, worth, worth digging in. So just work hard. It's, it's really, really great. Here is a question from Frank. He says, How can I best convince an atheist of God's existence? I've shared what I believe to be evidence, but he rejects it. Um, Frank, you, you can't convince anybody of anything. I said in my Bible study yesterday, Frank, that when anybody rejects Jesus Christ... There's really only one reason. It's not that they can't believe, it's that they won't believe. And the reason they won't believe is because they don't want to stop sinning. So your friend or your acquaintance may convince himself he's an atheist, but it's because he doesn't want to answer to God. Remember when they said about Jesus, we will not have this man be king over us. Um, That same sentiment is true 2,000 years later. So you can't convince anybody anything. Your responsibility is to declare the truth and leave it alone and tell this atheist that you hope and pray that he finds the one that changed your life 
uh, and then pray for him. But you can't convince anybody. I think, Frank, this is uh, a decidedly Western thing. You know, we think we've got to convince people. We've got to debate with people. We've got to have a, a better argument or, or, or a more convincing, persuasive argument. The truth is the Bible never defends itself. It simply declares, in the beginning, God. Those are the four words you have to believe. If you believe that, the rest of it is really pretty simple. Uh, you know, we, we want to debate. We want to convince. Uh, we just can't. It's not your job. Your job is simply to share the gospel of truth. And as we do that, then the people that you're sharing with are going to be accountable before God. We don't like to think this way, Frank, but you know we're told every knee will bow and everything confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Um, a lot of people that we share with are on that day going to be lost forever. But because you told them, they will be accountable to God. They're not going to be, say, be able to say we didn't hear. They're not going to be able to say I didn't understand. Or there just wasn't enough evidence. I had somebody recently say to me, well, well, if there were more evidence, if God really wanted me, he'd give me more evidence. And my response, of course, is, well, what more evidence do you need than a man who was dead who didn't stay dead after predicting that would be what happened? So you can't convince anybody of anything. Don't even try. Again, when people stop listening, stop talking, it's not because your evidence is bad, it's because your friend's heart is bad. People don't believe because they don't want to stop sinning. They don't want anybody to be in control of their life. 340-9585 Nelson says, Why should I go to church when all they want is money? I once left a church and no one even noticed they didn't care about me. Nelson, you should go to church because that's what Jesus says to do. You should go to church because that's where he is. You should go to church because the Holy Spirit lives in you and you have to have the Holy Spirit to be saved. Um, you want to be around the community of faith. I mean, it's that simple. You want to be around the community of faith. It also isn't true. I want to address this once and for all. It's not true that all churches want is money. Um, there are churches that ask for money a lot, and there are churches that don't. Nelson, we're a church that never asks for money. Our, our, our announcement for, for giving is maybe 30 seconds long, if that. Um, it takes money to run a church but at the same time um, it's unfair to characterize all churches because of the abuse of some churches it is true there are some churches that just hound and hound and hound for money but don't judge all churches by those bad churches. Now, I also want to deal with this statement. Um, we recently had a lady say something similar to us on this. I once left a church and no one even noticed or no one called. They don't care about me. Um, you know, our job at church, Nelson, is to minister to the people who are here. We can't possibly minister to the people who aren't here. How can I love somebody? How can I make somebody feel valued if they're not here? And when people make the choice to remove themselves from a church, it's not the church's responsibility to go chasing after them. The lady who left our church has no idea how much I prayed for her. But it's not my job. I, I, I'm visually impaired. I, I don't get to be exposed to a lot of people. I don't get to see most of the people. I don't know who's here and who's not here. And we do care. 
But remember this, the job of the church is to minister to the people who are here. We don't worry about who's not here. You know, when we have people who serve Nelson, and, and you know, they'll say, well, you know, the people aren't really helping me. I'm, I'm, I'm the only one serving, or there's only a couple of us serving. Uh, and, and they kind of grumble under their breath about it, and, and, and I hear it. I just tell them, well, you, you know, that means that you are going to get the blessing they're going to miss out on. Are you doing it so people notice? Are you coming to church to get attention? See, that paints a picture of your heart, Nelson. It's not very attractive. The other thing you need to do, if you need help from the church, you need to let them know. I don't get emails that tell me that somebody is hurting. Sometimes I can look at people and see they're hurting. But for the most part, when I don't get to see them, we don't know. We want to minister to people. And I imagine that the church you left has a bunch of people there that are praying for you, Nelson. And you need to be grateful for that. Sorry for your experience, but remember, tell people what you need. And then you're going to find most of us as Christians are really loving. Let's go to a phone call. Zeke on line one from San Antonio. Zeke, thanks for calling. You are on the radio. Hey, Pastor Ron. How you doing? How are you doing today? I'm doing really, really well. How about you? Oh, not too bad. I have two questions. My, my first question is coming from my daughter, Nora. Um, our question is, if God is the creator, who created God? Now, I've been trying to answer it, and I thought maybe you could, uh, you would have a more clear answer for her. And okay. If there's, if there's time, I have another one. It is, uh, how can a new believer or someone curious in Jesus Christ avoid being tricked by the trickery? Uh, the trickery who are in churches, um, Zeke? Yeah, I, I guess that would be it. Um, I guess, for example, like my mother, you know, like, uh, she doesn't have a home church where she's from as far away. Or just uh, for anyone that I was to come in contact with, how could I guide into a church that would be good for them? Okay. I can enter those. We've got, we've got four minutes, so Zeke, I'll, you can take the answer off the air. For Nora's question, and give her a hug for me, uh, for Nora's question, uh, it is true that God is the creator God. Everything that is was made by him. We know that uh, from Scripture. Um, but God himself didn't need to be created because he always was. God is completely pre-existent God has everything he needs he doesn't need other things he does things he creates things because they please him nor that's why God created you because you brought a smile to his face but God is completely um, all-inclusive he, he needs nothing he didn't need anyone he always was. He always will be. The Bible says that there's nothing that was made that wasn't made by him. But he himself is without need to be creator. So he just always was. And he always will be. So I hope that makes sense to you, Nora. Uh, Zeke, your question. Having a new believer... Um, not fall into into being tricked or being deceived. Uh, I think there's two things. First, you, you got to know your Bible as as much as you can, and God will honor what you know. If if, if you're a brand new believer and you're opening your Bible, you got a lot of questions. God's going to honor that, and because you're a believer, the Spirit of God lives in you, and He's going to protect you. He's going to sort of insulate you. Paula tells a story when I first got saved and I was taking her to bad churches. 
um, it was she. She says kind of like God had His fingers in her ears so that she couldn't hear some of the bad teaching that I was exposing her to. Um, in in my case, God needed to to expose me to those things, uh, to teach me, to give me um, um, the motivation to really dig in and check those things out. Um, but but Paula says just like God kind of protected her. And he'll do the same for, for a new believer who earnestly wants to find out what's true. And a lot of times, Zeke, it'll just take the form of, you know, it doesn't sound right. For me, when I was going to prosperity churches, when I first got saved, I knew from the minute I got in there that it was a scam. Now, I was struggling because they were telling me God wanted me to be rich, and I certainly needed to be rich, but... Um, uh, I knew in my heart, in my spirit, I knew that it wasn't true. And so it, it motivated me to really dig in, start reading not only my Bible, but other things to find out. Well, if people believe this, why do they believe it? And, and if they believe it, why is it not true? I needed to equip myself. So what you want to do is have the right heart as you're digging into these things, but by all means, dig in and God himself will protect you. Those are really, really good questions, Zeke. Thanks for tuning in today. Remember, tonight we have our men's and women's and youth Bible studies here at 7 o'clock on, on, um, at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Um, I'll be with you tomorrow, Lord willing, on AM 630, The Word, at 4 o'clock. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.